This episode of the podcast is brought to you by HardcoreHusky.com, covering Washington Huskies football with message boards full of debauchery and childlike wonder. Folks who are well-known in cyberland and not that dumb, except for our little fudgy who is wrong about everything. So come join the gang and register today for free at HardcoreHusky.com. And now it's time for the show. Well, the DeBoer era starts at Washington while Mario Cristobal obviously fearful of playing against an up-and-coming Husky team, has bolted for Miami. There's lots to talk about this holiday season, and for the discussion today, we are joined by my co-host and intrepid analyst, Joey Dangerously and Willie Duke. And gentlemen, what are your thoughts to all that's going on right now? Joey, we'll start with you. Mario Cristobal, fresh off being annihilated in the Pac-12 championship game and not repping the North very well, is now the head coach of the Miami Hurricanes. And what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I think that Mario couldn't handle um, couldn't handle taking another beat down by the Peter, Peter Cetera doppelganger in Utah. Um, and I think that Andy Dufresne has suffered less violent rapes than Mario Cristobal has in the last three weeks. So... <laughs> So he, he he goes down to Miami um, looking for an easier easier path to the to the championship instead of uh trying to hang out in the the real soft pac twelve where he can't seem to get it done with, with sling blade and Willie Willie T's players. So pretty pretty epic move. I didn't think he had it in him. He managed to uh, uh, take his name out of the uh, fake tough guy of 2021 award running by making a move to his alma mater and getting the fuck out of here. Um, so kudos to him. And then uh, congratulations on, on Brian Harson for – having his name thrown into the Oregon head coaching <laughs> search. <laughs> well, I don't know. What's what's more anticlimactic, having uh, Brian Harson be your new head coach after a 6-6 six and six season at Auburn or having Mario Cristobal be your new head coach after getting basically prison raped uh, in his uh, Pac-12 championship game? Boy, I mean – Uh, that's that's tough. I I think if you're Miami, you, you know you're pretty stoked because um, ESPN will will wipe away any any memory of that game pretty quickly. <laughs> so Miami won't won't even know. The sensors are at work. And, they'll see a ten and three record, and uh, they you know they won't they won't have any idea what what's really going on. So. Um, you know, if, and if you're Oregon, you've got to be, uh, you know, you've got to be pretty stoked to have Brian Arson, right? I mean, he's, uh, you know, got got a guy with a West Coast pipeline, and uh, he's he's got one win over Washington. It's one and one, but you know, he's got a win over Washington. I, you know, I don't know, man. You got to be pretty stoked with that that list of names: Harson, Kelly, Wilcox. Don't forget the cult of Wilcox. They're out there. Yeah. And they're pushing hard. 
Well, his wife, his wife probably is. <laughs> um, <laughs> she, she's, she, little inside she's joke now, there. She's now, she's now infiltrated Skoducks and. Uh... <laughs> and she's going to argue on behalf of Justin Wilcox passionately. <laughs> Uh, I mean, really, really, if they they hired Wilcox, you know, I I don't know. I I don't know if that would be scary or, I mean, it'd it'd be a pretty meh, you know, if you were, if you're a fan of the Pac-12. I think he'd put, I I think he'd have some good defenses, but, you know. Well, with all the resources that they have down there, all you need is somebody that's, Competent is a good manager. He can manage details and can hire good people around him. And then you you're winning ten games a year. So yeah, you don't even need to be special per se. You know. No, and it's I mean, if they hired him, he he won't he won't leave. I mean, I, I think he'd be there forever. So if they're going to look, if they're going to look at it that way, like, you know, he'd be the Frank Beamer of the Pac-12 without the goiter, (laughs) without the goiter. (laughs) He's getting on in years now, though. You never know. (laughs) It was not a goiter. Uh, <laughs> well, your dad used to say "old goiter face." So I <laughs> yeah, yeah. What? What was it, Willie? It's a. Uh, I'm pretty certain it was like a burn damage thing, which is ironic. I mean, we have a lot of stuff to talking about shit my dad says that's just like random and like kind of caustic and stuff like that. But he, for some reason, latched on to not liking Frank Beamer. I, I still don't really know why. <laughs> no one knows why. No one knew why. <laughs> and he latched on the Beamer's neck thing, and he kept saying it was a goiter and called him old, old goiter face. But ironically, I'm pretty sure it was a burn thing. And my dad's like a very passionate uh, volunteer firefighter. So it's kind of ironic that he was so, so, uh, Unnecessarily harsh on a guy with burn problems, uh, and mislabeled it a fucking goiter. <laughs> Which I don't know, dude. Do people even get goiters in like past like the Great Depression? I've not heard of a good goiter in a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the deal, and I'm not kidding here. If you go to Google and just simply type Frank Beamer, the two top <laughs> entries that pop up are Frank Beamer neck. <laughs> And Frank and Frank Bieber zero zero. Oh yeah, uh, from that fa- that famous gift. Oh, that's your yeah, legacy yeah. to mankind. So. That's amazing. And, uh, and I'm not kidding. Old goiter face. Oh good. Old goiter face. <laughs> Willie, what are your thoughts on the on the on crystal ball leaving and what's going on with Oregon and all the all the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Conv- convalescing is the wrong word, but um, 
basically we got all these duck fans on hardcore husky at the duck refuge uh, trying to come to terms with with the changes of life yeah well i'm happy uh i i gotta reiterate what joey said because i've been a very vocal shitting on cristobal for being a big you know tough guy but then i think he wanted to hang out in the pack 12 like the worst pack 12 ever and then beat his chest so uh, good on him for not being Jim Mora and actually going to his uh, alma mater. And, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you can live in Miami, make the same amount of money, basically. Uh, and, you know, if Clemson continues to slide down, I mean, the ACC is even easier to win in the Pac-12. And you can just recruit totally different there. So it makes a lot of sense. I mean, historically, too, I mean, Miami's kind of a weird down period right now. But, I mean – uh, there's no arguing Miami versus Oregon. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I think it's, you know, I it's also kind of like we're so – I'm so shell-shocked and just beaten down by everything working out for Oregon. It's like Oregon in, like, the fourth quarter against Utah, it's like 31-7. to 7. I'm like, if Utah doesn't punch this last touchdown in, I mean, Oregon still, still got a shot because it just seems like wow. everything works out for them. So I'm like – I'm waiting for them to announce that they hired Urban Meyer. Like, that's what I'm waiting. We're all going to uh, – yeah. Husky land is snickering because they're going to probably hire Brian Harson and Will Cox and old, you know, academically prowess uh, crystal ball left and organs and shambles all of a sudden. Uh, and then it's just going to mean that they're just going to hire, like, Urban Meyer or someone like that or someone really better is going to show up. But, no, it, it's, it's good. I think, uh, you know, going to that – that that mindset of just like everything works out for Oregon. I mean, it was like, boy, three weeks sure can change a lot. Cause you know, going into that first Utah game, I mean, you're looking at Oregon, you're like, this is a really not good team. And they're going to somehow like make the playoff. And then they're somehow going to get like Cincinnati and then they're going to beat Cincinnati. <laughs> and then they'll <laughs> get, they'll get plundered by Alabama or Georgia, but they'll again be like, you know, the time they got there, they will have gotten to the championship again, and you can't really take that away from them. But you're like, God, it's going to happen with this team. And then, you know, everything could possibly not start falling down, and it couldn't happen to a better bunch. And I mean, with Cristobal leaving, I mean, you got to, uh, you know, they got to remember that they're really only in this situation because they got lucky that, you know, someone hired a coach away from them, which is like pure luck. Uh, so, you know, it's not like they have some really bad luck or anything that he's leaving now. Uh, yeah, and I mean, overall, uh, it's exciting for the Pac-12 to me. I mean, USC, I don't know if we've talked since USC hired Lincoln Riley, which is like, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if maybe that factored into Cristobal's thinking that, you know, he's not going to be able to go down to uh, California and take, like, you know, recruits away from Clay Helton. He's going to, like, lose every single you know, guy who USC wants now for at least a little while. Uh, I mean, the Huskies, I think, hired at least something that I feel good about as a coach, and Oregon is in a bad situation at the moment. It's, uh, it's, a, good, it's a good window to be in. Well, I'm not a fan of clickbait, but what do you guys think? Should this episode title be uh, Urban Meyer to Oregon? It's going to happen. It's going to fucking happen. Everyone's laughing. And then Phil Knight's going to offer him a blank check and all the college bars to get shit faced down. You can do it in Eugene, where, you know, the media is basically a bunch of fanboys. Uh, and, you know, they have Nike's uh, PR team to cover everything up. Uh, I think he's coming. 
Did uh, did Campbell sign um, an extension or a uh, you know like no. pump and payer? Nothing. So you mean at at Iowa up. State prior to going to Notre Dame, right? Yeah. Well, no. That's what uh, you meant, Notre right? Dame, Notre Dame just promoted their defensive coordinator. So, uh, did I dream all that? I thought. Yeah, Are you, you dreamed it. No, Notre Dame. Notre Dame promoted their version of Jimmy Lake. Uh, uh, Freeman. Um, I must have lost my mind. Well, I saw a tweet. I saw a couple. Matt Campbell was trending on Twitter, and then I looked at it, and I saw a tweet that announced him as the Notre Dame coach. But it must have been like from a a a troll a a troll account. And I think I texted you guys, but no, he's at Iowa State. But I mean, I I can probably it's probably Barry McCockiner. Yeah, it, I could not see him being a fit at Oregon. I mean, Oregon has to hire someone who wants to take photo shoots with 17-year-old boys and, you know, uh, yeah. be a douchebag. I don't think – they have to stick with that, I think, at this point. And, I mean, unfortunately, I think that's what works best for them. I, I would love for them to hire some, like, you know, Wilcox-type guy who, like, the kids who are into the Oregon shit don't want to – they want to play for a guy like Crystal Ball who's – just a douchebag and or like a Dabo, just like a, just a, you know, like a guy like that. So I don't think Matt, I think Matt Campbell, he would probably be the best for them because Oregon, ironically, everyone hypes up certain players and like their talent when they level up, but it's always like they're weird, jaggy guys who really fucking care that always carry those teams like Travis Dye. Uh, and they probably would be better off with a guy like Matt Campbell, but they're going to want a guy who's willing to, you know, be a douchebag and dance and take photo shoots on thrones with 16-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, I know I mean, the age it, is going down there. <laughs> so, so it's like, wh- what guys do they have in in coaching, you know, like that went to their school besides – um, Wilcox and Sermon. I mean, who, who else do they have out there? Because at this point, they're they're you know they're they've been a stepping stone as much as they don't want to admit it, you know. And uh, so, who would they who would they even go after? They have to be worried at this point. Like, yeah, let's go get the big name. Well, the big name's going to leave in three years. So then, who not necessarily. Then who well, I, if you I have mean, somebody that loves living there and has all the resources they want, yeah, you had Sling Blade. Well, <laughs> there is a lot of reasons. There, there, there again, there, there again, Sling Blade. What was his downfall? I don't think you wanted. I think you didn't want to. Brady Hoke. Brady Hoke. <laughs> Brady fucking Hoke. Yeah. What was Jimmy Lake's Whoa. downfall? John Donovan. Weren't, weren't the, they, hired two, the they hired coordinators. Weren't the wheels coming off the uh, sling, ba- sling blade wagon even before the Brady Hoke hire, though? 
Yeah, I think I, I think that was uh, part of it. Was like the Pac-12 finally had caught up, you know? Because uh, I think they went to Arizona like the year the year before Vernon got there or whatever. I think Mariota was still there. They got the shit kicked out of them down in Arizona. I mean, and then the the year Vernon was there, they should have lost here if not for some weird hail marys they threw, and then. Uh, over and, and over. They went to Utah. They went to Utah and they they got beat by like fifty points. So they they were like nobody was afraid of them anymore. You know, I think that well, was Brady, that was part of the issue. Brady Hoke was. Uh, I think a more apt comparison would be uh, Brady Hoke was their version of Ed Donatel. <laughs> Ed Donatel. Yeah. <laughs> I still remember. I still remember uh, his first interview on KJR when uh, I think I think it's probably Softy had asked him about uh, you know hey what, what you know a guy like uh, Trenton Tuiasosopo how can he get on the field and he's like oh man when I watch film of him I just see a uh, I just see a fucking football player you know well I didn't say the f word but he's like oh, I just see a good I just see a I see a good football player I see a tough hard nosed football player I'm thinking. He's never played. <laughs> what, what, film do you have? what film do you have on him? He's never played. <laughs> well, my favorite part of Ed Donatello was that I dog on on the old podcast. He he would always call him Ed Donatelli for some reason, <laughs> and and and, uh, and and I dog I dog wasn't trolling or anything. He was just uh, had it in his head that the guy was Italian, I guess, but. Was I dog a Pizon too or something? <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> couple, couple, couple Guidos. <laughs> Far from it. <laughs> oh, good. Shout out to I dog. All right. <clears throat> he's been surfacing on the boards lately. Have you guys noticed that? Mm-hmm. He's been popping up. So. And uh, when we talked, uh, the three of us were texting about three days ago or whatever, and we were saying, hey, uh, what about, uh, you know, podcasting tonight? I think it was under the assumption, though, that there would be uh, some staff hires at Washington and some new things to talk about. But there's, uh, it's kind of a radio silence at the moment. Hello? We we gave what? you radio silence. <laughs> yeah, that's called improv. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Good night, everybody. <laughs> well, they announced Grub, the offensive coordinator, earlier today, which is not a surprise oh. at all. I mean, I think we all knew that was coming. Uh, I mean, yeah. They also announced uh, Courtney Morgan is like I think he said player personnel or recruiting guy, which you know people who know a lot more about that stuff than me are. Like ecstatic, not just excited, they're like ecstatic about it, which to me is a great sign to show that, you know, they're going to learn from their mistakes and, you know, actually try, try, try now and also not be, you know, Peterson <laughs> and just bring all my buddies uh, from Boise who like to hunt and fish and don't like to recruit, uh, uh, hopefully. So I could, I mean, it sounds like with the defensive coordinators, they're trying to do everything they can to get, uh, Dante Williams, which would be big. And there's like a guy who's a yeah. Seattle guy. It's like a, 
and it's like not a Baker steam cooler, but it's some la- like steam hour or something. And he's a uh, like the Hamilton Tiger Cats head coach or something. Who is the other guy they're looking head, at? Head 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 coach of the Tabbies. The Tabbies, yeah. Or or Orlando Steinauer. I watched him play. I watched him play for Western. Oh yeah, he played for Western. Yeah, my dad. My dad took us up to a game. Uh, it was like Western versus Western Oregon or something, and uh, Orlando Steinauer. They were like really talking up this Orlando Steinauer guy, and then uh, and then he got drafted like the sixth round or something. So, and uh, yeah, big shout out to him. That that'd be a big get. He's got he's he's in the top nine in every statistical category in in the Canadian Football League. I'll give, well, I'll give everybody a minute. <laughs> I'll give everybody a minute. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'd be a lot more excited about Dante Williams, though I do kind of feel like that might be going for the route of going to bring in a shitload of talent and then never play well on defense. So I would love – someone had mentioned maybe if you could get those guys to be co-DC and maybe like, you know, Steenhauer – coaches and Williams recruits and does whatever he wants. Uh, because I would be a little worried about Dante Williams that yeah, you know, USC where you have a ton of talent, but your, your, your team that your defense did not play well, uh, would be my only worry with that. But I would definitely take it over, uh, quick Kowski and, uh, Bob Gregory. So I, uh, I should stop, I should stop worrying about that. You know, not to uh, dwell on the past, but I'll just take a moment and say that there were many moments of red flags and deep concern with Jimmy Lake, but when 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 uh, Kwiatkowski left for Texas and Jimmy turns around and promotes Gregory, that was like the bell sounding of the, the death knell of Husky football. It was probably one of the lowest points uh, ever. But, yeah, everybody knew it was going to happen. Too. I and, didn't. I didn't uh, assume that nothing, he would hire Gregory. If, if the rumor's him. true that if the rumor's true that he didn't want he didn't even want to do it, Jimmy had to beg him to do it. Yeah, like I don't. Some, yeah, some like some were saying. Then that's like, yeah, beyond. I bad. mean, I almost, <laughs> have, I almost have I almost have more respect for Gregory. Him basically saying like I I can't fucking do that. <laughs> I'm not into that. But actually taking the job, no, then then you then I guess you lose me, but um yeah, you probably I'm sure Gregory was probably told when he came here, like, look, you're just gonna uh coach special teams. And then uh then he got suckered into coaching linebackers and he's probably like, God, they just keep giving me more money to bump me up and I have no interest in doing any of this shit. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure he was a guy who lost his passion, who just was trying to collect paychecks and not be seen. And next thing you know, he's defensive coordinator. I mean, yeah, I always said that was almost worse. The Gregory promotion, I think Gregory was a better a better DC than Donovan was an OC, but that was a worse situation. That was like really, like that was the really big nail in the coffin because you were like. Donovan, you never know. 
maybe he was really doing something for that Jaguars red zone offense. Uh, but Gregory <laughs> were like, you know, we know this guy is a dud, uh, and this is what we could do. But, I mean, yeah, that's what I'm, I mean, the positive is I feel like the only good thing about bottoming out is bottoming, bottoming out and learning your lessons, not like – you know, bottoming out with Gilby, then hiring Willingham, you're like, oh, they didn't learn shit. They're just, you know, they went for an yeah. easy, they went for an easy, you know, uh, virtue signal. Uh, ahead of the curve at virtue signal by by hiring a, a guy who had 20 million red flags in a, you know, a very average track record in good good situations. This is like, you know, and this is like, to me, like a better Stark, but ever also like, I understand, they, like, Sark was the guy who would take the job. I mean, like, they were in a better place now, ironically. Uh, but I think they're this kind of, these kind of hire, that kind of hire uh, with the personnel guy and the fact that they're going after some of these guys showed that they're at least going to try to not just do the same shit over again and get lazy and cheap and think that they're going to be content to be, you know, an average at best Pac-12 team. And and I know there's been like some raised eyebrows and, and some criticism on the on the message boards at Hardcore Husky about how on the cheap we went with DeBoer. Um, and here I'm going to speculate again. And then in the and in the past I speculate and people go, oh come on. And then it turns out being right. And I don't know anything here. I could be wrong. But I'm I'm guessing that there might be a little bit of a Jen Cohen wink with this uh, deal. That uh, it'll if he has some success early on, good success that uh, that thing might get renegotiated. But she's kind of behind a, a barrel with this, uh, or whatever the expression is, behind the eight ball or whatever, uh, monetarily because of uh, all the lost revenue from uh, the COVID situation, and then still trying to pay off the stadium and stuff. And again, that's just me speculating, but um, um. I've got to believe that uh, if he if DeBoer does have some quick success at Washington, that that contract might be renegotiated pretty quickly. And I will say, if you get somebody like Dante Williams up here, that uh, you know is really uh, good at the recruiting aspect of things, and would presumably have uh, a chip on his shoulder in regards to USC, uh, that that's exciting too. So, yeah, with DeBoer, I'm not. I'm not, like, to me, it was always kind of a red flag with Jimmy where it was, like, how much he was making. I mean, to me, it was kind of like the coach of Washington should be a guy. They should strive for what they did with Neuheisel and have a guy who, you know, is making a lot of money. You don't want to have a guy where it's like, oh, great, we're saving money on a coach. But you're Washington. Exactly. Uh, But, I mean, the truth is DeBoer is not a $7.5 million coach. So it would be weirder. It'd be weirder to pay him that just so you could say that. And I don't think there was anyone who was a $7 million coach who was going to come, come to Washington unless there was some weird – maybe if you threw that out to some weird NFL guy or something who might take it because they want a new start maybe. But I, I'm fine with that. And I think, yeah, if it is true that they're going to use, use the, the money they're saving to hire uh, a coach, uh, other coaches, they better fucking do it. Uh, and they better, you know, do what they did with Tosh, uh, Tosh Lapoy, where they, you know, backed up a truck uh, to get him to, to, to sign on. I, I really, really hope that's what they're doing. I have some faith that they might be doing it. Uh, it's Now it's me. It's like if they can, they pull that off. And 
Yeah, I really hope uh, – I'm fine with DeBoer bringing some of his offensive guys, uh, but I really hope with defense, yeah, they kind of hire somebody like Dante Williams or someone who has a track record because you don't want to, you know, just play physical badass football and, and bring in good guys and bring in some more edgy guys into the program. Uh, and then he just kind of hands that side of the ball over off to somebody else. Uh, so uh, that's that's really what I'm hoping for. Mm. Joey, is there anything give, in particular? Go ahead. I was going to say maybe they maybe they just give uh, Dante Williams a headset that doesn't work. <laughs> and <laughs> and he's coming from the sidelines and he and uh, he's he's sort of confused at the formations, but but he just you know doesn't think nothing of it, and he's just a you know a. Uh, you know, the ace recruiter on the staff and uh, Steinauer's just kind of sitting up in the box as the, you know, like this wizard up there and and calling the plays maybe. I am not directly comparing Dante Williams to Tyrone Willingham, so that's not what the purpose <laughs> of this joke is. But, no, the only reason I bring it up, I, I'm not. I'm not comparing the two. Directly, <clears throat> but uh, you saying that though rem- reminded me of uh, a joke on the old um, Husky Half Brain podcast where I Dog and Race Bannon were talking about uh, Tyrone Willingham, and I think it was in the middle of the '08 season. And Willingham would always have that stern look on his face, and he'd he'd flip the mic of his headset up, flip it back down, flip it up, flip it back down. Nobody knows whether it's actually plugged into anything. It's <laughs> race man and said. How long? How long do you think race has been sitting on that Grubhub post that he put out earlier? How long he's been sitting on it? Been yeah. Waiting to roll it out. You mean? Yep. Well, he, or was yeah, he, he the you know, only he, one? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know he's uh, he's a clever guy. He's not uh, he's not short of uh, of ideas, and so I, I doubt that he was gleefully sitting on that one, waiting and waiting. But uh, oh yeah, he can, well, he, he can, everybody uh, uh, when. Uh, Somebody put out like what last year maybe the uh was on your Mount Rushmore of you know Husky football and I I I thought I thought about I don't think I put anything up there um uh, on that thread but I I thought about putting Race Bannon on it <laughs> because he, he is he is a hero of ours. he is a hero of all of ours you know oh yes and I liked the uh I like the the back and forth cat fight uh, he and Fudgy had the other day. That was pretty entertaining. <laughs> fuck you! No, fuck you! Fuck you! No, fuck you! <laughs> no, fuck you more! <laughs> and then Fudgy goes, "I can talk this way to race because I respect him." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so um, there's there's a, maybe a couple other posters that you could say that stake a claim to like best poster, 
but uh, you know, Race Bannon to me is like the heart and soul of of hardcore husky in that sense, and not just because his history goes back 250 years or whatever, but just that to his, his memory does go his memory does go back to the mid 60s or early 60s even. So, um, and he's well, seen a lot of funny, stuff. It is funny listening or uh, reading like Duck Fighter Illustrated and. And it's jokingly, you know, like getting names wrong and misspelling names. <laughs> and it's just fun. Myself and Wooly Dude, because um, his dad does all these backhanded slights, you know, <laughs> mispronouncing <laughs> names on purpose. You know, like, like Garrett LeBlount. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I can't think. I, I can't really think of any others offhand, but <laughs> uh, what I love about Race Bannon's um, <clears throat> Duck Fighter Illustrated is that he he usually uh, this isn't always the case, but it's often the case, especially in recent years. It's like he starts off with a lot of enthusiasm because he's got these ideas percolating in his mind. And then he gets a few paragraphs in, and then you just you just see the flames starting to extinguish, and then at the end he's like, "Yeah, fuck it." Then he just writes a couple of final sentences that summarize an entire conference or whatever, and signs out. So, um. uh, so. <laughs> well, anything else you guys want to talk about? <laughs> Uh, can we talk a little bit about AA Andy? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, I'm not aware of anything new there. No, no. You were just talking about race. I don't know why. Uh, a duck fighter illustrated and meandering is always uh, oh. lodged in my head in the same spot. So when you start thinking of whenever you talk about that, and then I can't remember what podcast it was, but someone mentioned if AA Andy had anything to do with alcohol. It's anonymous. <laughs> I don't think it does. Uh, no, I uh, I I think you know. I just think it's a good uh, it's a good window to enjoy it while you can. I mean, until until things go completely wrong again, uh, just appreciate that you know. It seems like Washington's going to make some right decisions. Uh, Oregon's in some turmoil, and it's much easier for Washington to have success when the Oregon's uh, down a little bit. And I at least don't have to see Aaron Feld or uh, Crystal Ball on the sidelines anymore uh, or hear about Thibodeau uh, other than maybe if I'm watching, like, a uh, Detroit Lions game, like, uh, two years from now, and he's uh, <laughs> has, like, two two and a half career sacks and no one knows who the fuck he is. Uh, but uh, I, I'm thankful for that. It's after Thanksgiving, but I'm thankful for not having to deal with those things anymore. Uh, and I'm curious to be what the – what what coach they hire will make the narrative for whatever the the media just circle jerks about with Oregon of, you know, for it was these big, tough, physical football teams uh, on the lines, even though uh, there are, you know, they weren't really proving that this year and got basically skull fucked by Utah. So uh, I can't wait to find out what the next thing that's going to be shoved down everyone's throats, throats will be uh, and what player that will be. That'll be really fun. Well, I wouldn't automatically assume that Oregon's down, though, because their response might might make us all go, "Oh wow." Well, that's what I was They've saying. Got... You know, that's why I said you enjoy this this brief moment of 
yeah, it's yeah, like in okay. the perfect the the perfect storm, and you know Mark Wahlberg and George Clooney think they're going to get out of it for that one second, and then they go right back in when Oregon it doesn't matter. Oregon here's the thing too: Oregon could hire Jimmy Lake, and the way things go, uh, it would work really, really well. Uh, Boy, you are <laughs> jaded. <laughs> that seems to be the case. <clears throat> the case, and to then me. and then we uh, have a thing. And then we have a thing where what's his name? I'm forgetting his name, but uh, he'll he'll do a Photoshop where it's Jimmy Lake standing with his arms folded proudly in uh, Autzen Stadium, and it's a Sports Illustrated, the first African American <laughs> yeah. coach to win a national championship. <laughs> in the like, uh, you know, there's a lot of things on social media about bad takes, like you know, freezing cold takes, like that uh, weirdo fucking magazine cover that guy made. It has to be the worst freezing cold take of all time because it's Jimmy like first African-American national championship coach. I believe it's like JT Tumalau and Emeka Agbuka, like all Americans and then like Savelle Small. Then it's like all this shit that is like could not have gone any possible worse or wrong. No. And <laughs> immortalized fucking forever. John, John Donovan takes the Takes the vacant Jaguars job. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we're almost at a point where you have to say Smalls is probably uh, not going to pan out. I don't see any. I don't see any hope there at all. I mean, I duped on him a little bit the first year because he did actually look like he got close to getting some sacks. But I mean, he showed. Other than maybe one play against Stanford where he, on like the critical third down with Tanner McKee, he did make a decent play. He didn't make a great play, but he made a decent play. I I just, I haven't seen anything. And unfortunately, I mean, I just feel like now in college football, players flash so early. They come in so much yes. more developed than they used to. The schemes are so much better. The coaching is so much better. It's kind of like, to you know, continue with the point of you know Oregon and Washington, I mean, both fan bases are have been glo- you know gloating about these leveled up recruiting classes. But I look at both of their guys who are supposed to be these guys who are the level up, and I just I haven't seen it yet I'm e- with either of those programs uh, outside of like a couple of guys. Uh, so I mean, I I throw some smalls in there. It's like yeah, I mean he. I get the COVID. The COVID year is also weird. He's probably had no coaching yet, but it, I mean, not that we need to be yet another podcast that's kind of shitting on the one five star <laughs> roster. Because I feel like there's like four Husky podcasts, and it'll be like the middle of the season after a game, and it's like, hey, we make sure we reserve four and a half minutes to shit on the one guy uh, who uh, <laughs> you know supposedly has a high ceiling on the team, who supposedly you know wants to transfer, who supposedly will probably transfer to like the beeve and be a fucking all American. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, not just him. I mean, I think we have Washington's had it. We've gone into it a bit at a lot of places where it's just like the defensive tackles, you know, they brought in four guys who were supposed to be like, you know, solid high or high or good four-star guys. None of them have even looked like all pack 12 guys. You know, they brought in, handful of quarterbacks over the year, you know, none years, none of them have panned out, <laughs> including Jacob Eason. And, you know, so far, you know, Sam Hewitt after one year, 
which I would throw in the boat of, I'm not shitting on Sam Heward yet, but I'd throw in the boat of, you know, guys flash way earlier than they used to in college football. Uh, I mean, the Huskies just have a lot of spots where, you know, receiver, they just have these black holes for these guys who were supposed to level up, but then you're like, oh, it turns out, same thing at Oregon. You're like, turns out Bichelia and fucking Fuller uh, and Coleman Shelton and Eldrin Camp and all these guys who we kind of wanted were tired of uh, were fucking better. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's kind of what I'm worried about. <laughs> Well, remember they ran off, uh, Sark ran off Andrew Hudson. I said he came back Ooh. in 2014 and had like 13 sacks or something. <laughs> That's right. So it was almost, almost, almost as much as uh, Thibodeau did in his career. I had to get. I had to get a jab in there. Yeah, I think that. I think that's the second I one. I do. The second one snuck in, but I mean that is one thing that I think. No matter who seems to be coach at Oregon, that does help keep them afloat, you know, in defense a little bit of Thibodeau is they are always, it seems like they're always going to get every year or two, they're going to get like a legit five-star guy. And that's way different than getting like a high four-star guy. Uh, and it's really helped them over the years. And I think it makes a big difference uh, where a lot of times you get excited about your composite, you know, composite four-star rating, but you're like really, you know, these are guys who were either going to go to Stanford or Washington and they went to Washington or they were going to go to Oregon or ASU and, or UCLA and they went to Oregon. So it's not like that big of a get, uh, but those legit five-star guys uh, can make a huge difference. Cause I mean, I did think Thibodeau was the most overrated player I've ever seen in Pac-12 history, but that almost, almost has more to do with how the media in Oregon's comms team framed him than anything. I mean, uh, but, I mean, he was a big score for them, uh, I think culturally, too. Uh, and that's what they've been able to do. I, I think that was part of a drop in a bucket of ways they were kind of able to, you know, with the narrative, change, change it uh, and raise their profile up. But then they kind of, you know, circle jerk the shit out of it this year. Uh, but I, I just don't ever see Washington doing that or being able to do that. And the thing with uh, Smalls, though, and and, and... – I don't feel like I've I've been shitting on him at all, but it's just like I'm just trying to point out kind of reality. And he just doesn't have a motor. And I saw that in the one game I saw of him in high school in the playoffs, he just didn't have a motor. Um, and specifically if the play went away from him to the other side, he would just kind of stop and, and jog. And um, But but I'm, uh, that one high school game I saw of him before he came to Washington, it was his athleticism was like, you know, just heads above everybody else on the field. Um, but it was just like there's no burning, burning desire to, to be to be great. And you talked earlier, Wooly, about, you know, you see players flash earlier in their careers these days. Um, and we just haven't seen situations where it's like, oh, Smalls has been a non-factor. Oh, wow, did you see that play? No, you just – it just doesn't happen. So – well, he had a couple times think... in twenty. He had a couple times in twenty twenty where VTF just beat him to the quarterback. I mean, there was times where he could have got the sack, and VTF just beat him there. 
So yeah, I mean, but he, he showed mean... he showed he showed some things in 2020, like you know, like a good. So he did had, Dylan like, Morris, good... though. Yeah, twenty twenty. I don't know what it is. Yeah, because I was watching. What a weird fucking year. Yeah, like Jalen McMillan posted like some highlights from like twenty twenty or something. I was watching him. I was like, Dylan Morris looks like a fucking different person. Like, what was twenty twenty? Yeah, because like I I I feel like no one else noticed it other than me and you. But we were like, yeah, like Smalls almost had like a handful of sacks, but, like, ZTF just got to the quarterback in a second and a half, and, like, yeah, but, yeah, 2020 was, you know, just an anomaly uh, for Washington. You can't base anything, including ZTF. Uh, I know he was hurt this year, but including ZTF, like, he might never never get anywhere near what he was in 2020, and it's just this weird I, anomaly. I mean, it's the same, that Utah team that just, you know, beat Oregon like 76 to 17 to win the conference. Uh, that was like essentially almost the same fucking Utah team that the Huskies beat in Husky stadium in the same Husky team. It's like, I mean, that's like, it's just weird. Yeah. I'm afraid ZTF is going to be, uh, he's going to go the way of Azim Victor. I just kind of got that feeling. So really like one, you know, bad injury. And then, uh, Eventually kicked off the team. <laughs> well, I don't mean kicked off the team, but just kind of fizzled out. And I, um, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. So go ahead. <laughs> I had a thought chambered for the last two minutes, and now it's gone. But so, so we got we got any predictions on uh, the assistant coaches? I mean, I'm hoping I'm hoping for Kirby Moore. I think Kirby Moore would be a good uh, a good hire. Yeah, I had heard. I the only thing I'd heard on you know experts on Twitter was that there had been talk of keeping Junior Adams, which I don't you know necessarily have too much of a strong opinion either way. And then Kirby Moore would be like the tight ends coach, which you know I would be fine. Uh, because I I think Junior Adams is a good recruiter. I don't know I don't know if he's a good receivers coach, but I mean uh, if they want to keep him for recruiting and then have Kirby Moore basically <laughs> be yet another situation where Junior Adams' headset isn't connected and Kirby Moore is doing the coaching, but they find a way to make it work. I'm all for that because yeah, I think Junior Adams is at least on paper a good recruiter of guys who are supposed to be good. Uh, but uh, I would maybe prefer Kirby Moore if it comes down to either one. But I had her. It really seems like Junior Adams is going to get kept. Yeah, I mean, just look at how Fresno State's receivers, you know, catch the ball and make plays after the catch. They they blocked better. I know they're granted playing lesser talent. Okay, but if Washington is allegedly playing lesser talent, quote-unquote, you know, week by week, then why can't they fucking block and run after the catch like that? If they can also get that Cropper kid to transfer up here like it's rumored, I mean, holy shit. That guy's a fucking playmaker, too. Yeah, that would be huge. Uh, 
Yeah, they have another good receiver too. It's like Josh Kelly or something. I mean, he's not as good as Cropper, but I mean, he he's he's probably better than anyone the Huskies have at this point too, and that would be a huge get. And uh, I mean, someone pointed out, I didn't really thought about it, that the receivers were not one of the problems with the running game too. Was that the receivers were not good blocking this year? I mean, it's not the it's not uh, it's far from the most important part of your you know your running game. But I, I definitely once someone said that, I kind of thought back and like, yeah, they just never they never had any like there was never any like help on the edge, and they never really ever could get past. I feel like those six yard runs a lot of times because they were, the receivers were never making blocks. Well, I can say one thing is I will never again, I've learned my lesson. <clears throat> I've been burned. I will not be burned again. I will never get swept up in the hype, uh, preseason hype, of how good the Washington offensive line is again, only to see us open the season against Montana and rush for 64 yards. So <laughs> never again. Hell, yeah. I mean, that's uh, – I officially I, – I don't know how I got – suckered into it and I know we talked about it even specifically on like the, the season preview pod I will never fall for the trap of the experienced Husky offensive line ever again hold <laughs> me to that they could you know they could make them a clones of like prime uh, you know Orlando Pace, Steve Hutchinson Walter Jones uh, <laughs> and uh, Anthony Munoz and I will still be like they'll suck they, 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 they can't once they put that Washington helmet on and we people start to say that they're going to be good, uh, they're going to come out and they're going to be bad. And this, I think, was the worst of any of them. I mean, we need to, I don't know if you've reflected on that. I mean, as bad as the ones, I think there was like a Gilby year and there was a Willingham year where uh, maybe one was a start. And a New Heisel. All three. New Heisel. All three of, you know, the, the big offensive line coming back. This was the worst of them, uh, especially yes. given – you know, I, I feel like there is some raw talent there. I think it was a little bit overblown. Uh, I still don't know how Jackson Kirkland's a, you know, a big-time NFL prospect. But uh, I, you know, this would be worse. I mean, 65 yards against Montana, uh, you know, the whole book of work for the whole entire year is, you know, it, it, it's historically got to be the worst offensive line they've ever put out there, at least considering what it was supposed to be. But even with no hype, it was like, what, what are they doing in the weight room? What's going on here? Well, I mean, that's, if you want to keep and talking the coaching. On, yeah, retention and issues. I mean, a lot of people, some people have come to defend Soha or Socha or whatever. I don't know how to pronounce it, uh, the strength and conditioning coach. But, I mean, uh, he seems like a good guy from all I've heard. And, it, I mean, I, I believe he was there during the Prime Peterson years, but – and, you know, people are going to lean on COVID or, but boy, that was uh, the worst looking and just like physically strong and conditioning te- team, especially up front I've ever seen the Huskies have. I mean, how many times I get it part was they couldn't, you know, the ball control was terrible, uh, but every single game in the fourth quarter, they just were completely like, it was like <laughs> on defense, every time they were in a close game in the fourth quarter, you were like, well, once it hit like, 10 minutes left in the fourth, you're like, if the other team gets the ball back, they're going to score a touchdown every single time. And then offensively, you're just like, there was never any give. It was like, they they never wore anyone out, you know? Uh, no. Even when they were running, they ran the ball all the time and you kept waiting. And you're like, oh, 
you know, even against terrible run defenses like Stanford or Arizona, they won because they were like passing the ball. Uh, they got no push. So both ends of that, the strength and conditioning program, I'm sorry uh, if, if Socha is good, he'll, I'm sure he'll land on his feet somewhere, but they need to have a fresh start because that was just abysmal all year and uh, inexcusable. Well, it's the, it's the fresh blood all around that gives me the most optimism, I think. So, um, you know, gone are the promotions from within and all that moving chess pieces around that you already own. This is, um, you know, uh, like you said earlier, Willie, it's, uh, at least there's, like, there's a sense that, the, that we're trying and that there's actually some effort being extended here to excel on some level. Didn't have that before. No, and even in the coaching search, I feel like they showed some lessons. I mean, they, I think the only big-time guy they really made a true run at who maybe would listen was Campbell. But, I mean, at least they tried it, and at least they're trying. And if they fail on this, I will feel fine with it, where I feel like on Willingham and Gilby and uh, Lake, when they failed, you were like, well – I saw that coming. Yep. And even Sark. And Sark gets so much more credit than he deserves because people say, oh, he took an 0-12 team and he won five games and then got him to a seven wins a year after that. Any any competent coach could have. Um, the one thing that Sark had to deal with was that the team was so beaten down mentally and, and – uh, I think that was uh, the, uh, the if you give him credit for anything is he 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 brought a little spark to it, but I mean you just consider what we had leading the the way at that time with Willingham and all, um, it could not have been worse, other than uh, I'd say maybe the Jimmy Lake situation, uh, you could feel the relief of the the players after he was uh, let go. So, um, I'm getting a lot of feedback here. I hope it doesn't show up on the uh, the thing, but. I know we're about ready to wrap up, but uh, um, are you getting, anyways, are you getting ready? You getting ready for another book? No, about I, I don't lake. think so. <laughs> <laughs> During the lake, <laughs> I've been waiting. For no, it. I have. Yeah, I was hoping. No, no desire to write about Jimmy Lake and. Um, uh, and I don't think anybody out there would want to read it anyway. So, because <laughs> when so Willingham got fired, yeah, when <laughs> Willingham got fired, and when Sark left, I felt like there was like a floodgate of just incredible stories of like their just Willingham's arrogance and ineptitude that came to light now that he was gone. And then with Sark, uh, you know, dr- being drunk and just a, a scumbag and an idiot. Uh, so I'm like, I've kind of been anticipating, waiting to hear about all these great Jimmy Lake stories of like how he was just lazy and a dick and didn't know what the fuck he was doing. Uh, emerge like Kellen Moore was already to take the job or something as OC, but he just didn't return the phone call. <laughs> uh, <laughs> shit like that. Or like JT, like, yeah, like he was like, you know, JT Tumalau was like there for a meeting and he like, didn't show up because he was golfing or some shit. Uh, I just keep waiting for those, but we haven't gotten those yet. So when you mentioned the book, I was kind of like, uh, I was kind of like thinking, like we haven't gotten too many 
we haven't gotten really good Jimmy Lake stories. Because there has to be. To be that, you know, epically big of a shit show, there had to be insane shit going on behind the scenes and just insane hubris that is going to make some good stories. And I just hope we hear them soon. And uh, maybe we won't all hold him in this light that we seem to hold him of like, oh, I don't have any ill will towards them, you know, the way I did Willingham. Uh, but I, you know, he, he's a shit coach. I mean, I'm waiting. I am hoping we're going to get some good hubris stories uh, of old, old Jimmy Lake. Well, here's the thing, though. We had Jimmy Lake for a grand total of 13 games, and <laughs> Willingham, it was four long, torturous, tedious years. So, yeah, I, thank whenever you, Mr. I, Emmert. Whenever I, like, go to – I think about Willingham, I, it always feels like so much longer than four years. It feels like yes. it was like – It feels like the it was year like – The 10-year prison eight, sentence. Yeah, it feels like I'm like, oh, it was only four <laughs> seasons, and I mean – the last season too was like over by the fourth game, but you're like, fuck, it felt like Willingham was the coach for like a decade. Well, I just remember that it was, uh, what was that? Uh, was it early 2010? I'm walking around Green Lake with uh, Lucy and, uh, I, and I had spent the last 20 minutes just complaining about Willingham. <laughs> <laughs> And she goes, you need to get this out of your system. You need to write a book. <laughs> I was like, you know what? You're right. Um, so, and he wasn't even the coach anymore. So, <laughs> but uh, I so, so deeply resented uh, Emmert and Willingham and Turner for, for putting that on the Husky program and, um, and what they did to, what they did to the tradition and everything. It was just a spit in the face. It was terrible. So I see so, that, uh, Oregon promoted Brian McClendon to their football as their head coach. Interim not as interim, interim, not, yeah, not full time, but interim, but, <laughs> uh, let's, let's see if the players pick the coach again. So <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Urban Meyer to Oregon. That's I'm running with that. So, uh, well, Brian Harson, Brian Harson, Oregon, <laughs> Spurns Auburn, say, probably bails out Auburn. <laughs> you please hire Harson. I will never stop laughing if they hire Harson. Harson would be way, way worse than way worse than Wilcox. I, I, the bad thing if they hired Wilcox was Wilcox though would be based on how he was at Cal, he would be insanely motivated to beat fucking Washington every year. He he will Wilcox will go. Seven and six every year, Oregon, and squander a bunch of talent. But he will fucking beat the Huskies every single year because uh, he clearly uh, he has like one. He's an Oregon guy. Two, I think he felt like he has clearly has some sort of animosity with the program based on how fucking pissed off him he was at Cal. So that would be the only downfall. I want Harson. Uh, I really want Harson. If I'm Oregon and I'm being serious here, though. Um... You know, and, and Phil Knight's getting up there in years, and, and I'm, I'm reading tea leaves here, but if he wants to make one more great run, uh, I go to Fickle. I say, you can you can coach in your bowl games, and don't worry about any of that, but how much do you want? Name the price. Yeah. I'm worried that's what they're doing. Uh, I'm kind of banking on that the guys. No, it's, 
a situation most guys like that wouldn't want to go into. I feel like the best kind of like splash hire I feel like they could uh, logistically get would be like Aranda, but I do feel like just because he's so freshly signed that extension, I believe, that it couldn't happen. Uh, but, yeah, I am worried that they are going to be able to pull off some shit like Sickle or something. Uh, because yeah, they, only exact have, reason. they only have eight days. They have eight yeah. days to, for the early signing period. I mean, they could punt on that. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, it's not – Absolutely. It's, we haven't discussed. I mean, yeah, it's horrible timing for them, too. Because, I mean, yeah, like so many guys like Aranda and stuff like that who may have been interested or even like, you know – fucking Kitty James Franklin or someone like that. They're, they're, they're kind of tied in now. It's really hard to get them. Uh, so their best shot would probably be to take, you know, try to pay a ton of money to get a guy, to get a guy like that out of a fresh buyout. Uh, so they're, they're in a very, very difficult place. I mean, but uh, I w- if there's I one team in, if there's one team <laughs> yeah. in the Pac-12, though, that could go ahead and just sacrifice a one recruiting season and probably be okay, it's Oregon. So, yeah, I think uh, I think you know Washington is in a much worse place than they still might be because I don't think yes. the board is going to be able to even if they do bring in Dante Williams or something like that. I think it's too late for the Huskies to really salvage uh, this class, and then putting that on top of another bad class. Uh, they're in a bad spot where, yeah, I agree. I mean, Oregon's probably fine punting. You can punt on, like, a class, especially with the transfer portal, uh, and be fine. But, you know, Washington's in a bad spot because they've, they're they going to punt on two classes. Uh, and, you know, that's Oregon's probably should be focused more on getting just a good coach. So I think uh, we'll wrap things up there. Um, the little announcement to the uh, to the listeners there is that later this month, sometime uh, between uh, Christmas and New Year's, uh, the three of us are going to get together in person. So the the audio dynamics are going to be a little bit better, I think, and we're going to have a kind of a holiday podcast and go over everything that's uh, gone on. And I think Purple Bays will probably be joining us about halfway through or so. Um, so. Uh, on that fine note, uh, good, uh, good, good pod, gentlemen, and uh, we'll talk again real soon. Yeah, I have one, can I get one good. update that, that I just saw as we, we exit the room? Sure. Sure. Uh, hearing that Oregon is requesting Kalane Sitake to interview, <laughs> whether or not he does <laughs> remains to be seen. So uh, really? that, that's, a good, that's a good sign to me that they're not going to hire Luke Fickle and, uh, and the, the ruler, you know, on the – the 12 side of the ruler is Luke Fickle uh, or Urban Meyer, and the one side of the ruler is, to me, uh, Brian Harson. <laughs> Satake is much closer to Harson than Fickle. Yeah, Satake well, is probably a five. Yeah. So, all right, I decided to get that in. Yeah, no problem. So, all right, guys, we'll, we'll talk real soon. All right, later. Okay. Hey, Thank you for listening to the Hardcore Husky Podcast. This show is copyrighted material. In other words, stop plagiarizing our shit, fuckos. So please tell a friend and rate us five stars on iTunes, especially you cheap bastards who don't donate. It's the least you could do. Yeah, I'm looking at you, creepy coog. And come join our fun at over at hu- hardcorehusky.com. We've got Husky Football, Yellow Snow's Record Shop, 
and our notorious Tug Tavern, which is which is a shit show of politics and strange news. And if you enjoy yourself and are ready for the next level, level of cyber peyote, peyote, come join Swain's Wigwarm. <laughs> I'm going to have to read this over. Sway's Wigwam, yeah. Sway's Wigwam at Navajo Nation's gift to college football. It's also the official private club of hardcore Huskies. We're talking boobs, guns, and inside information, all for the low, low fee of $129 a year. Come join the fun. I'll have to read that one, but... <laughs>